Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. Week 6 of the Saratoga Horse Racing Meet was interesting both on and off the track. And Week 7 brings us to Traverse Stakes. To give us a lowdown on what's happening at Saratoga is the Capital Region's premier horse racing writer and part-time court reporter, Mike McGadden. Mike, welcome back to the podcast. I don't want Un- to that. Unwittingly the part-time court reporter, but you know, we're we're in the news business and stuff comes up and you sort of have to like drop everything sometimes yeah. and go uh, uh, take care of the breaking news, uh, which happened recently, of yeah. course. We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll talk about um, Chad Brown's arrest in, uh, you know, last week we'll, and get that in our second segment. But let's look ahead to Saturday and the Traverse Stakes. Traverse Day, a lot of races, and there's a field of eight led by the uh, deserving 7-5 favorite Epicenter. For Saturday's uh, 1.25 million Grade One Travers, and of course the biggest race of the meet, charge it out because of uh, minor injury. But it's a, is this race still going to be interesting without ch- charge it? Well, very much so. I mean, just the presence of the Derby winner Rich Strike and the Preakness winner Early Voting um, makes it interesting. And they're not even the favorite. They, we already mentioned seven to five epicenter, deserving favorite. I wasn't really sure what his price was going to be. I thought it might. Be a little higher than that, but seven to five, I guess, seems pretty fair. Um, I was talking to Steve Asherson this morning, uh, Epicenter's trainer, and one of the quotes I'll be using in my advance uh, Saturday morning. He said it would be lovely if we if he had only one jockey on him Saturday afternoon, but the chances of that are very small, and we all know it. Um, what he's referring to is well, he will have one jockey physically on him, Joel Rosario. But um, the other jockeys are going to be keeping an eye on Epicenter because they know he's the one to beat, and it could have a lot to do with how the race shapes. Um, you know, these other jockeys um, uh, riding uh, Joel's horse along with him, as the expression goes sometimes. So um, so you might see some tactics early or down the backside where maybe Epicenter wants to suddenly get position and somebody isn't going to let him get it, uh, which is race riding. Um, as long as it doesn't, you know, cross the line into interference. But they're they're all going to be. He's the one to beat. Everybody knows it. They're going to be keeping an eye on him. Um, I haven't made my pick yet, but I think I'm probably going to pick him again after I picked him in the Jim Dandy as well. Um, and he, I also liked him in the Derby and the Preakness. I, I still think he's the best three year old male in the country, even if he hasn't won. He has not won a Grade One race yet. Um, we've got four horses in this field who have won a grade one, he's not one of them, um, which seems amazing because he was second in the Derby, second in the Preakness, he won the Jim Dandy, um, but he still hasn't won a grade one, so they desperately want to win this race just to get that on his resume. I'll just run through the field real quick okay. um, in post-position order. The one is Cyber Knife. He was 18th in the Derby. He's coming off a win in the Haskell. Two is Rich Strike, Derby winner. Sixth in the Belmont after that. Um, <clears throat> the three is Ain't Life Grand, who's uh, the Iowa Derby winner. Um, interesting to see a horse from Iowa in this race. The four is Gilded Age, by far the longest shot on the board at 30-1. to one. He was second in the Curlin. Two, the five, Artorias, who won the Curlin. Very lightly raced. He's raced three times. Um, then we go to the six, which is up center. 
coming off his Jim Dandy win. So he's got a, a win over the track, which is very important. Um, and the mile and a quarter distance should be no problem for him whatsoever. The seven is early voting, the Preakness winner. And he was fourth in the Jim Dandy. And then the eight on that far outside is Zandon, who was second in the Jim Dandy, third in the Kentucky Derby, uh, behind Rich Strike and Epicenter. Um, so... As we've mentioned already, Chad Brown is in the news this week, and he's got three of the eight in the uh, Travers, and that would be uh, Artorias, Early Voting, and Zandon. Um, and uh, Artorias is actually the shortest price by a little bit, even though he's only raced three times and he won the curling. He has not run in a graded stakes yet, not running one, forget about winning one. But he might, he, he probably has the most promise of the three Chad Browns. He's nine to two, um, third choice behind Epicenter and Cyberknife. Um, and then, of course, early voting and Zandon, uh, the three of them give Chad Brown. You know his best hand in the in the Travers ever. Not only his quantity, but he has quality. Um, but overall, I think the race is going to be pretty good. I, right now, the kind of the rumblings off the post position draw Tuesday was everyone's thinking that early voting is going to kind of be the early speed, and some of the later running types, um, including Rich Strike. Um, those people are hoping that somebody, maybe Cyberknife from the one hole, might kind of put a little pressure on early voting early um, just to keep an honest pace. Cause if early voting gets away by himself, that, you know, comfortable fractions early, that might set him up early and not set it up for some of these other ones. So it'll be kind of interesting. Um, you mentioned charge it. I'll get in, get into him real quick. Um, he won the Dwyer by 23 lengths. Absolutely. eye popping performance last time out at Belmont park. Um, he, probably would have been that forwardly placed pace horse that people were counting on to keep early voting honest, but he's not going to run. Um, he was very close to being eligible to run based on his physical status, but he had a little abscess in his one of the, his right front hoof that they've been dealing with for a few days. The thing popped, which is the good news, but he missed a breeze, and he's just like a couple days behind in his preparation. I, so we went to see Todd Pletcher Sunday morning when when Chargett went out there with a sort of an experimental gallop to see if he'd be able to breeze Monday. And if he could have done that, then we'd probably see him in the Travers. And, and I said afterwards, he said, so, no, he's out of the Travers because he, he a little blood on his foot coming out of this gallop where he looked beautiful in the gallop. And uh, he said, so, no Travers. And I said, this sounds like something that, like, if you had another – week you might be able to run him and he said yeah well maybe even three days would have been enough but i mean timing wise it really sucks and i was disappointed you know not that i'm rooting for anybody but it would have been great to have him in the race because it would have been that much more interesting we had nine horses including you know very quality horse in charge it but you know unfortunately he won't make it to the race we'll see him down the line in the pennsylvania derby in september um so i think he'll be a player in the division but it's going to be a little delayed um but in the meantime it's, it's an interesting race with some pretty interesting resumes and and a variety of different horses who can win it so um that's all you can ask for yeah reading your story um when you filed it saturday you know with the, with the breezes that took place and uh, charge it not breezing Todd Pletcher seemed very frustrated. Was he frustrated on Sunday as well? 
No, he was more philosophical and resigned to the fact. I mean, there's nothing he can do at that point. Saturday, he was very kind of terse, and you could tell he didn't want to talk about it, but he didn't want to, like, leave us hanging either. He, um, he was very terse because he knew what was going on in you know with the horse. We didn't, but we knew something was going on because I think he was supposed to breathe on Friday, so he missed Friday, and missed Saturday. Putcher was kind of short with us um, about it on Saturday, and then Sunday after... He, you know, push came to shove, and he, he the decision was there. Then he was fine, and naturally, he's very, very disappointed because this horse had a real shot to win this race, and you hate to miss one when the horse is ready and training great, and then just a stupid little routine thing that happens all the time comes up, and just the timing of it was the only thing that would have kept this horse from not only running in the Travers, but having a great chance to win it. So was, he was more philosophical and just kind of disappointed and, and uh, way more talkative Sunday after, he, you know, he figured out, well, we're, we're not running. Nothing I can do about it now except get him all the way back and point for the next one. Of course, you mentioned Red Strike, the uh, long shot Kentucky Derby winner. Uh, he didn't race in the Preakness and really did not really race well in the Belmont. Can he handle the distance? He can handle the distance, which he demonstrated in the Derby when he, you know, he wanted exactly the same mile and a quarter distance. It's not the distance so much as the track surface itself, because every track is different, different horses. Some horses, they don't care. They can run on anything. Other horses are kind of particular about which surfaces they, they run well on and which ones they don't and train well on and don't. And Rich Strike is a perfect example, and we'll see if, um, Saratoga is a track that he likes, but based on his workout, it is from last Saturday. Um, uh, the trainer, Eric Reed, came in a couple weeks early, wanted to get a couple breezes at Saratoga specifically to see if Rich Strike would just like the dirt, the main track, you know, dirt surface at Saratoga, which he clearly did not at Belmont Park. Um, he said he had a bad work before the Belmont and a bad race in the Belmont. And, you know, the two things kind of go hand in hand. Um, the last breeze he had at, at Saratoga this past Saturday, he compared to his last breeze going into the Derby at Churchill Downs, where he just looked like he was comfortable on it and, and you know, thrived on it. He, the horse went like a couple seconds faster than they were expecting and wanted to do. They, they wanted a 102 for five furlongs, and he went in 59 and change, and they like they, they were like astonished and checking their watches and went back to the clockers, and nope, that was 59 and change. So um, he didn't look like he was going 59, but that's what they he was clocked in. So they were pleasantly surprised, and it just gave them a lot of confidence that – Horse can still get beat, and again, it goes back to the pace scenario. He's one that really needs a pace set up in front of him, as he showed in the Derby, which he got with Epicenter and Zandon just beating each other in the head all the way down the stretch, and then here comes 80-to-1 Rich Strike to pick up the pieces in the last couple strides. Um, but he's going to need a similar scenario. They, they can at least check the box of, we know Rich Strike likes the track, so if he gets beat, that's not going to be the excuse. It's not to be expected. It, it, now it's just a matter of they're, they're worried about not having a good enough pace scenario on the front end to set up his late run. Um, so that's kind of where they stand with him right now. How much will this uh, race uh, affect the uh, voting for the top three-year-old? 
Um, it'll be very big. I, you know, again, I think Epicenter is clearly the number one, and his seven to five would support that. Um, there's a couple others out there, but for the most part, the ones that have a shot at it are going to be in this race. So whoever wins it, depending on the rest of their resume, I mean, if Gilded Age jumps up and wins this thing at 30 to one, it might be higher at, at post time. I don't think anybody's going to crown him as the champion three-year-old male. Um, there is, you know, I already mentioned the Pennsylvania Derby, which is kind of, could be a bridge or it's a race where, you know, like if Charger jumps up and wins the Pennsylvania Derby convincing, then it kind of comes down to the Breeders' Cup Classic where the horse might probably won't, the, you know, the ultimate Eclipse Award winner, the three-year-old male division, might not necessarily win the Breeders' Cup Classic, but it might come down to, like, whoever does the best in that race. Because right now, it's looking like Life is Good and Flightline are going to be the two, and they're older horses. They're going to be the ones that's going to be, everyone's calling the Breeders' Cup Classic, assuming Life is Good goes in that instead of the Dirt Mile. It's going to be a battle between those two to win the Classic, and then whichever three-year-old comes in third, um... Of course, it could be a Philly three-year-old that yeah. comes in third of that race. We're not ruling out that possibility. We'll talk about her in a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, I th- if Epicenter wins on Saturday, then it's his award to lose, basically what it comes down to. And if, and if any of the Chads wins it, then you kind of have to elevate that. You know, unless it's Artorias, who, again, doesn't really have much of a resume right now. Um you know, if Zandon, if, you know, if early voting's already won the Preakness, if he wins the Travers on Saturday, then I guess he kind of, by default, you have to give it to him. But right now it's epicenter, so he's in position for it, and then he kind of needs to follow through with this badly desired grade one that they want to get on Saturday. Well, the Travers is not the only uh, stakes race going on on Saturday at Saratoga. Five graded stakes will uh, be on the undercard, including some serious star power, Mike, with uh, Jack Christopher and the Allen Jerkins, Jackie's Warrior in the forego, and the rematch between Clarier and Malathot in the personal ensign. Yeah, those are the three I'm really kind of focusing on just because of the star power. I mean, we also have the uh, Sword Dancer, which could be a really interesting race. I think that's going to be a pretty evenly even field with a lot of really good um, accomplished older turf horses and then you got the boston spa which is a um turf racer phillies and mares um they have as of right now they haven't drawn the race so i don't know exactly what the fields are going to be for any of these races but i know who the probables are and we've already done reporting on some of them including jackie's warrior this morning with asmussen um but back to the jerkins jack christopher i had kind of i wrote a column about how i thought he was the best three-year-old male in the country um, leading into the Haskell, even though he hadn't run in any of the legs of the Triple Crown. Um, and then he finished third in the Haskell um, to uh, Cyberknife, and that kind of um, forced Chad Brown's hand to drop him back in distances, which automatically means the Alan Jerkins, which is seven furlongs, and it's a grade one for the same division, three-year-old males, and it's not restricted to males, but that's all you're going to see in there. Um, so Jack Christopher, after his third in the Haskell and, and kind of didn't pass the distance test that they were looking for, now he's back to the sprint distances and will be a heavy favorite um, in the Allen Jerkins. The other interesting horse that we know of that's going to be in there is Gunite, who from Steve Asperson, who uh, won the hopeful last year at pretty long odds and then came back and won the Amsterdam earlier in this, this uh, meet. 
by neck over a horse named Accretive, who's also from Chad Brown's barn and has been working out with early voting. Um, Gunite is kind of interesting just having won the Amsterdam, which is always considered the big stepping stone bridge race to the Allen Jerkins. Um, so we know Gunite likes the track uh, based on his hopeful last year in Amsterdam this year. Um, but he's really up against it against Jack Christopher, whose only career loss was um, was that Haskell. Um, so Jack Christopher's a serious horse, and he's back at his proper distance going seven furlongs in the Allen Jerkins. Um, moving forward to the Forego, Jackie's Warrior um, accomplished something. They've been racing at Saratoga uh, race course since 1863, and until Jackie's Warrior won the uh, A.G. Vanderbilt earlier in the meet, no horse had ever won a grade one at Saratoga three years in a row. And he checked that box by winning the Vanderbilt. And, and Asmussen this morning was saying, you know, he's never been more nervous before a race than he was before that Vanderbilt because he knew what was at stake. And it would have been kind of funny – um, it would have been not funny, but interesting if, if he had lost that race and came back in the forego, the pressure would have been a thousand times more to win, to, to, you know, check that three years in a row, grade one, um, uh, amazing resume bullet item. Uh, but he didn't have to worry about that going into this one. <laughs> he was his usual impressive self in the Vanderbilt. And, you know, it's not only is it three years in a row that he's won a grade one at Saratoga, but you can go back to his two-year-old season He's, he's five for five at Saratoga going into the forego. He won the Saratoga special in the hopeful, which was the grade one in 2020 when he was two. And last year as a three-year-old, he won the Amsterdam and the Allen Jerkins races we already talked about. Um, and the Allen Jerkins was the grade one last year. And then he won the Vanderbilt in the four, and he's shooting for the forego on Saturday. Um, you know, the two big grade one sprint races. So, um, this guy is like really, real. Not only is he just over, overly impressive. Period. Um, the only race he's lost in his last eight was a sixth in the Breeders' Cup Sprint, and he still won the the um, Eclipse Award for male sprinter despite being three years old and finishing sixth in the Breeders' Cup Sprint. Uh, this guy's like we're, we're really privileged to see him up here. Not only like once or twice, but this will be the sixth time. Um, because he loves Saratoga, but he he's just great everywhere. And, um, you know, I got to think he's going to be in the Hall of Fame at some point. But he's still got more things to do this year, starting with Saturday in, in the Forego. Um, and then the personal Lansing, uh, you already mentioned Clarier Malathot rematch. Um, in the Shuvie earlier in the meet, Clarier won by one and a half lengths. Um, and she won the Ogden Phipps over Malathot by a head go back to their three-year-old year, and it was Malathot coming out on top by a length and a half in the Alabama. But Steve Asmussen said Clarier is an absolute different animal this year. She put on weight. Um, when you saw her next to Malathot last year, she looked little, and this year she looks big, and it's been a big difference in, in how she's raced. So she's she's going to be tough to beat in the personal ensign. Um, we're supposed to also get Latruska in there, who um, – who, uh, it ran in Ogden Phipps and, and kind of, um, you know, she was the, she's the champion older dirt female from last year, despite the fact that she was 10th in the Breeders' Cup this half. Um, she pretty much won everything else. Um, so she's supposed to kind of be back in there again, but, you know, she, she might be playing catch up a little bit to the other two, Clarier and Malthot. 
Um, one other thing I do want to mention is that one grade one race that has been on the Travers card for however many last years is going to be run on Sunday this year, the ballerina. And we will get to see a genuine star in that race in CC who uh, won the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint last year and um, and also the Eclipse Award. So we're looking forward to that. It's kind of cool that they alleviated some of the Travers Day pressure by moving the ballerina to Sunday. But um, in the meantime, we get to see a very, very good uh, mare in that race as well. well. We'll take a look back at uh, week six of the uh, Saratoga Horse Racing season, uh, both on and off the track. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Hey, Saratoga Horse Racing fans. You have a chance to win a $50 gift card to a Daily Gazette advertiser by playing the Gazette Saratoga Pick 7. Here's what you do. Pick your horses to score the most points in the first seven races at Saratoga Racecourse and win the $50 gift card. To play, go to www.dailygazette.com slash pick7 and make your picks 15 minutes before post time the day of the race. The Saratoga Pick 7 contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not affiliated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Welcome back to the podcast. Mike McAdam joining me here on the uh, Parting Shots podcast talking Saratoga as he does during the horse racing season. Well, let's take a look back at uh, another unbelievable performance by Nest uh, winning the Alabama, beating Secret Oath again. Uh, it looked like Nest could have won that by more than four and a quarter lengths. Well, she easily could have. And um, um after she um, kicked butt in the coaching club American Oaks earlier in the meet, uh, co-owner Mike Rapoli was very uh, animated, and uh, is it, is it, let's just say he likes to talk. Um, he, he was the guest speaker for Todd Pletcher when he got inducted into the Hall of Fame a couple years ago, and and he was given a I think a fifteen minute limit on. Um, his speech uh, to, to introduce Todd Pletcher. And of course, he went way over, but he had the funny line after the Coaching Club American Oaks where he said, you know, this was supposed to be a, a matchup between um, Nast and Secret Oath, and it, it, instead it was a 49 to nothing football score. So I, I corralled him in the, in the paddock after the, um, after the Alabama, and I said, well, if that last one was 49-zip football game, what was this one? And he said, this was 35 nothing in the third quarter, and, and uh, someone said, and then you rested your starters, right? And he, said, and he was like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, back to your point, I mean, yeah, she could have won by a lot more. There, there was no reason for Irad Ortiz to uh, really, you know, make her work any harder than she already was. Uh, the race was well in hand. Um I mean, really, if, unless Epicenter wins the Travers by 15 lengths, we're not going to see a bit better or bigger star performance. You know, I mean, Jackie's Warrior, obviously, if he wins. That's going to be special. But um, just the way Nest put away Secret Oath two races in a row, um, it, it, you know, and did so to the to a degree where the question was raised afterwards: Are you going to maybe think about putting her in the Breeders' Cup Classic against older males instead of the Breeders' Cup Distaff, just because of the distance difference? I mean, the the Classic is a mile and a quarter, Distaff is a mile and an eighth, and I mean, 
she's just a beast at a mile and a quarter. So it's a legit question. I mean, I don't think they do want to run her again at the age of four next year. So maybe they can wait for that until next year and then stick with um, Phillies and mares this year um, in the, in the distaff. But in the meantime, um, the other question that was raised, one of the other questions that was raised was, did this uh, cement her eclipse award for the end of the year? And I firmly believe it did, no matter what happens the rest of the way um, for three-year-old Philly. Now, um, Todd Pletcher was the question was posed to him, and he has reason to be pessimistic just because of the fact that he had Princess of Silmar a couple years ago, who swept both of these races and then won the Beldame, I think it was also against the older Phillies and mares at Belmont in in the big um, fall uh, racing Saturday that they have there, and then she got her butt kicked out in California in the Breeders' Cup, and the holder wound up winning it. And as he said the other day, he's like. You know, I, thought, I don't count on these things. I don't. I don't pretend to know how the the Eclipse Award voters think, but I know I thought Princess of Silmar should have won it a few years ago, and then Beholder backdoored it by by winning the Breeders' Cup distaff. Um, so he's not counting on anything. I'll go ahead and say she wrapped up the Eclipse Award um, for, which is unusual in August. I mean, because there's at least one other race, and then the Breeders' Cup where these things kind of get decided and I, I'm good with saying, nope, I'll give it to her right now. And I am a voter. And, and if the vote was today, I mean, everybody would vote for her. How, um, if, but, I mean, you, you throw in the fact that she finished second and ran a very credible race in the Belmont stakes against males. Uh, I, I don't see really how she could fall down far enough to not win the thing at the end of the year. What would the Travers be like if she was in it? Well, that's the other second guess. Um, I think she would be second favorite, to tell you the truth. Um, if so, if she skips the Alabama, and, they, and she was nominated to the Travers, and they weren't really seriously considering it. I think it would have been a situation where if, um, like, she had some kind of issue where she didn't, she missed a work or something like that, it would have been a bet where if they needed an extra week, then they would have thought more about it, but she's just doing so well. It would seem silly to not strike while the iron is hot, hot and just go crush the Alabama, which she did. But if she was in the in the Travers with the current field and charge it out of it, I, I seriously, I think she, you know, and again, that would have been without the benefit of seeing her Alabama. Um, maybe she would have been like third choice, but she would have been considered to be one of the top contenders because, like I said. She she ran a wonderful race in the Belmont Stakes at a mile and a half against males, and if she can finish second in that race to a very good horse, Mo Donegal, who's on the shelf for the rest of the year, uh, you know why not the Travers? Um, that it, I mean it's fun to think about. Obviously, it's not going to happen, but um, she 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 would have been a player in there. I I'm not second guessing their decision to run in the Alabama. I mean that that was the right thing to do. But it is fun to think about. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, we mentioned Chad Brown a little bit earlier because he has uh, several horses in the Travers, and he's looking to win his first Travers. But if he does, it's going to be something of a black cloud over the story because of uh, his arrest last Wednesday by Saratoga Springs police uh, following an alleged domestic violence incident at his home. He's due back in court on September 2nd, and the image of him in the courtroom on neck last Thursday in a Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon t-shirt and uh, sleeping pants. It's just, it, it bothered I me. Mean, I was shocked. I mean, I, I don't know Chad Brown that as well as you do. I mean, how, how shocked were you when you heard that th Thursday morning? I mean, 
I got a text at eight o'clock in the morning. I just pulled up to the Oklahoma to do some interviews and, uh, to get, um, Alabama preview stuff, I think is what I was working on. And I saw the text and I was like, ah, I guess, all right. I bet everybody's day just changed. Um, um, shocked is not the right word. Um, as far as, so I went downtown and I was there for a couple hours for the arraignment and it, it was more like bizarre and absurd to see him, you know, marching through the door to go over to the table for the, for the arraignment and still in the clothes that he was in the night before. This is somebody that you're used to seeing in a suit and tie at Saratoga smiling and, and having just won a big race and, and being congratulated by his billionaire owners and, and well him congratulating you know mutual congratulations yeah. of course yeah. and it was just like it was just like bizarro world and um of course you know they had to move it to a bigger uh court room than they originally planned because so many meet like all the media showed up i think i counted nine there were three tv cameras tv reporter a couple print people including myself um and a, a couple photographers and um I mean, it was just like the whole thing was just so bizarre and troubling and uh, to see somebody in like a, such a different light than you're used to. You're just you're trying to wrap your head around it a little bit. Um, in the meantime, it, it's a misdemeanor. But as the judge pointed out, this is like the most serious misdemeanor charge that you can have that falls under the umbrella of things that are considered alleged domestic violence incidents. So the judges taking it seriously as is everybody. I mean, obviously you have to, um, he goes back for, he's scheduled for, to go back for formal charges on September 2nd, first thing in the morning. So I'll be back there for that unless something happens. And I don't know if they're, you know, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know if anything legally might happen between now and then where it gets settled or something like that. I don't know. Um, but I'm planning on being there that morning just to see what happens. Um, I will say, and I was careful not to like quote his lawyer in my first story because um, they they're already um, trying to kind of twist this around and and make the alleged victim seem like the criminal and, mm -hmm. and Chad to seem like the victim in this. And I'm not going to get into all the details of what we do know because there's a lot that we don't still. Um, but uh, um, the, the judge kind of cut him off a couple times, and I didn't want to be really party to letting one side get to tell its version of the story. Um, so I just kind of left it at, um, I threw a sentence in the middle of my story saying um, the judge several times cut off Chad Brown's lawyer um, when he tried to paint the victim as, a, a quote, the perpetrator. Um, so it's a messy thing. Um, you know, I, I am not going to even attempt to predict what's going to the outcome is going to be. Again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm just going to let the court process uh, play itself out into whatever resolution is out there. Um, but you know, again, he's got three legit shots in the Travers on Saturday, along with a bunch of other stuff, including Jack Christopher. And um, you know, we're, we're going to have to kind of wrestle with that on Saturday if he wins, like supplying the proper context of everything else that's going on off, you know, away from the track, um, you know, without sensationalizing it or getting, you know, getting too crazy. I mean, I already mentioned it in my draw story off of Tuesday night's draw just for contextual 
purposes and background. And so I'm not going to mention it every time I use his name, but it, it is relevant context to what anything big that happens this weekend. So it's going to have to be addressed. And in, in the meantime, again, I'm not going to speculate on what the outcome is going to be. Um, we'll, we'll just wait for September 2nd to see, and, and then moving forward from there, um, just kind of what the resolution is. I, I wouldn't even waste my time trying to predict what's going to happen. Has Naira reacted to them, and have they shielded uh, Chad from uh, from you guys? I mean, I, I saw a story from you recently where he was quoted through the Naira uh, press release. Um. He wasn't. I don't know what you're referring to. I know. Um, I asked for. I think it was actually, a breeze. I want a breeze, a breeze recently. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, we. Uh, I, I didn't talk to him because I was somewhere else on Saturday. But Naira and some other reporter, non-Naira people, went over and talked to him after the breeze. It was just business as usual, and he, like, he wasn't at the track. Um, last Thursday, of course, because that was the morning of the arraignment. Um, he was back at work on Friday. I mean, I've seen him around. I talked to him. I asked a couple of questions in the winter circle after he won the Lake Placid on Saturday on the Alabama undercard. And it's really, it's just business as usual. He's just going about his business. Um, he did, uh, he wasn't, um, conspicuously absent from the Travers draw, which is, you know, we kind of could have used him. He's got three horses, you know, he's got almost half the field, um, and, you know, I, I, I don't want to speak for him, but it seems like if there's even a glimmer of possibility that someone's going to bring up his legal issues, he's probably not going to want to be there, knowing that, like, the full complement of media was going to be there last night. Um, I did try to find him this morning to just talk to him about his three Traverse horses and Jack Christopher, and by quarter to nine, he was already gone. Um, but he has been at the track and at the barn every day since um, last Friday, so it's not like he's ducking anything. Mm-hmm. Naira can't really do anything about it. They did put out like a one sentence, um, just you know, it wasn't even boilerplate. It was just them saying um, we're aware of the situation and uh, we'll defer any further comment to Saratoga Springs PD, which is you know the only Naira quote that I used that was even available um, when I was doing the story last Thursday morning. Um, I will say that um, Naira has nothing to do with his actual trainer license getting suspended if something happens. Like if he, and I don't even know if it's a misdemeanor that, that, he, that whether I'm still trying to find out from the New York state gaming commission, they would be the authority that would have any say over his license um, being in jeopardy or suspended or whatever based on, you know, if he's convicted of something, but I'm not sure a misdemeanor even rises to that level. I, I need to still chase those people down and see what just the background of what the rules are in terms of your, um, your trainer license being in good standing in New York state and how any legal criminal convictions and things like that would, would affect that. I know they do like extensive background checks. If you're applying for a trainer license, owner license, you can't have any like felonies on your record. I think, um, you know, there, there's a lot of rules and some hoops that you have to jump through to get licensed in New York state. And then once you are licensed, you, you, you're subject to some sort of penalty or suspension. If, if you do wind up getting convicted of something, 
um, if it's serious enough. But I don't know if this would – again, I, I need to check back with those guys. I haven't heard back from the New York State Gaming Commission. Uh, I'm not sure I went to the proper channel to begin with. But I, I'm going to have to chase that down probably next week after the smoke clears from the Travers just to see what maybe potential is there. But I, I'm not – you know, I don't – expect anything to happen to his license really no matter what the outcome of this i mean i have no reason to expect it let's put it that way yeah so who are you picking to win the travers or you want to wait till i'm all? not telling <laughs> well I, I think i know who i'm picking well I, i'll tell you i'm i'm gonna pick epicenter and i'll be writing a pick column kind of um uh, i know matt donato is gonna you know write his own separate column one of our handicappers to kind of go through the whole all the stakes races and because of that and he's he's a serious person at this and i'm not well i am but not as much so um mine will be a little more tongue-in-cheek um i'm of course will go down go go to my grave as the person who picked against uh american Farrell in all three triple crown races and the travers um so but i you know yeah i'm gonna pick up a center i picked him in the derby and the preakness and the jim dandy and i really like him a lot um, a little worried that the, you know, like we already talked about, that the pace scenario might, um, you know, compromise his chance. I mean, I think it's going to hurt Rich Strike a lot more than it'll hurt Epicenter. Epicenter, really, really good, and really likes Saratoga based on his Jim Dandy. So, I mean, I hate to be a chalk-eating weasel and go for the seven to five <laughs> favor, but um, I don't think it's really revealing anything that that he's the one I'm going to pick. Who are you picking the Eagles Dolphins preseason game this week? <laughs> Dolphins forty nine to nothing or thirty five to nothing in the third quarter and then resting their starters. That's my prediction. Uh, if you're picking that, then you got some serious gambling. <laughs> I said I'm picking it. I didn't say I'm betting it. Yeah. <laughs> There's a big difference. Yeah, I, I don't really care who wins. It's preseason. Who cares? I don't either. Just I don't even really pay against. attention. Everybody stays healthy. That's all that matters. So, yeah. Mike, we covered a lot here. Thank you for doing this, and uh, sure. have fun on Saturday. And we look forward to your column uh, in Saturday Gazette and online at DailyGazette.com. And of course, follow Mike's coverage. And on Twitter at Mike underscore McAdam. Uh, yeah, make sure that one more time. Mike underscore McAdam. Mike, thanks again. Thanks for having me, Ken. Good luck, everybody out there. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winners in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest in just a moment. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. is your premier source of horse racing news and events from the daily newspaper of the Saratoga Race Course, the Daily Gazette. At the Track features racing tips, feature stories, picks by Naira racing analyst Anthony Stabile and Andy Serling, and direct links to Naira bets. Check out At the Track at www.dailygazette.com slash at the track. to wrap up the podcast. The week 25 winner in the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest was Tom Zabella of Porter's Corners. Tom wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Tom. There was a four-way tie for first among the VIPs. The winners with 10 points each were Dwayne Leach of All Seasons Equipment, 
Jessica Woodruff of Dave's Gourmet Burgers, Jerry Peel of Frank and Sons, and me. I'm driving my way to the championship. I'll announce the winner of the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. To play in the contest, go to dailygazette.com and click on the Auto Racing Contest banner. The pro football season is just around the corner, and that means it's time for the Daily Gazette's You Pick'em Football Contest. To play and have a chance to win a $100 Hannaford gift card, sign up at dailygazette.com football. There is also a chance to win a $1,000 travel voucher and a trip to Hawaii as part of a national contest. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I want to thank Mike McAdam for coming on the show. Next week, beside Mike, I'll have interviews with members of the Union College football team as the Dutchmen get set for their opening game next Saturday at Allegheny. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed in the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette Company. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette Company. I'm Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports. <laughs>